the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Thanks for listening to the show. New day, new podcast. Later this morning, I'm going to update a YouTube Live and Facebook Live video. Um, I'm going to try to do that on Fridays. I missed last Friday because I was uh, busy with other projects. But if I can get 26 to 35 Fridays in, it'll be a nice value add, I think, where it's just really what I'm thinking about what's happened on the markets and what we can do together. Let's talk about what we're seeing on Wall Street. Want to retire young? That's the name of the game, I think, for a lot of people. That was what I started psychologically back when I I got into investing 25 plus years ago. I wanted to retire young. That was my goal. What's your goal? And then I added goals like uh, take care of my kids' colleges. And then that turned into take care of my kids' college funds and, oh boy, high school. Then take care of the wife. Like there's, it's your goals should change and you should know that. And the cost of my retirement plan has gone up significantly during my lifetime of the goals that I have to hit. The funding is higher. Yesterday, the NASDAQ was a big winner up 1%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up one quarter of 1%. The SP 500 up one third of 1%. Bitcoin's having a start of the year. What, how will it finish? Some people are thinking good old days are here again. Happy days. Up 2% yesterday to $28,042. TikTok CEO went into Congress, and some of the, the feedback that I've been hearing online is pretty funny. Some people were comparing him to Pedro Pascal from The Last of Us. Probably not the Mandalorian Pedro Pascal. Spicy hearing, though. Um, the app is fighting for survival in the United States. With calls to ban TikTok gaining momentum, the company dispatched his head's honcho, a Harvard Business School grad. Try to alleviate concerns that the Chinese-owned social media app could be used as a spying tool. And there was data yesterday about what are called pixels being found in government phones that are like kind of, how shall we say, hot air balloons taking pictures. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. This is going to go bad quickly. First lawmaker to speak yesterday was Kathy McMorris. Rogers, she fired up the grill by calling for a ban on TikTok before the man even had a chance to talk. Byte Dance is beholden to the Communist Party. And Byte Dance and TikTok are one and the same. Interesting. CEO Chu didn't exactly instill confidence that TikTok had a firewall against China. For instance, he said he couldn't unequivocally deny that Chinese Byte Dance employees can access U.S. user data. So it it brought up more questions than answers, in my opinion. TikTok sent an army of influencers to Washington, D.C. to make the case that the app was a net positive for society and allowed them and other creators to make a living. Chu also noted that TikTok now has 150 million monthly users in the U.S., equivalent to 45% of the population. 
And the not so subtle message was, do you really think you can take away something nearly half Americans love and still be reelected? There was a lot of data that I was seeing yesterday about how millennials will hold accountable whatever party they think took apart millennials and zillennials. Let me get that in there too quickly. They'll hold accountable any party who is deemed the one that took TikTok away from them. And there are a large number of human beings in the United States. Elsewhere, they're out there. Do Kwan, the co-founder of Terraformed Labs, who oversaw a $40 billion cryptocurrency wipeout last May, was arrested and charged with fraud by U.S. prosecutors. An international search had been underway for months, and when authorities finally caught him, the scene was straight out of a movie. They were in Montenegro, attempting to fly to Dubai under the fake Costa Rican traveling documents. He had a South Korean and Belgian travel documents with him as well, all falsified, straight out of a movie. All the news that has come out this year on cryptocurrency has been nothing but negative. Apple's investing in way bigger screens. Apple, they're not going to put IMAX on your iPhone. They're going to put movies into IMAX. They're going to spend $1 billion per year to produce movies that will be released in theaters. The tech company is answering Nicole Kidman's call-in order to win over Hollywood's best talent, who still care about Oscar nominations and snagged buzzier projects. Theater goers might be tempted to sign up for Apple TV Plus after they clean the butter off their fingertips. <laughs> Apple's Coda won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 2022, but the film brought in less than $2 million at the box office. Really good film if you are on a rainy day looking for something. Not really what you would expect. So this has been a big week with interest rates. It's been a big week with the Federal Reserve. It's been a big week. Oh, another bank's failing. Oh, did I did I forget to mention that? Don't forget Hindenburg's going after Dorsey with the name like Hindenburg Research. You don't want that company glomming onto your stock, but block stock crumbled 15% yesterday after Hindenburg Research released its two-year investigation. According to Hindenburg, the Cash App employees estimate that 40 to 75% of the accounts on the app are either fake or fraudulent and could be traced back to one person. It also claimed Cash App played host to numerous scams conducted by users involving COVID stimulus and unemployment payments. Uh, where there's smoke, there's fire? Not always, but I'm not waiting to find out. That's my opinion. Let's talk about what's happening today. New orders for non-defense aircrafts and parts declined 6.6%. New orders for primary metals increased three-tenths of a percent. New orders for machinery fell five one-half of one percent. New orders for fabricated metal increased four-tenths of a percent. New orders for computers decreased one-tenth of a percent. Key takeaway report is it invites the question of the strength of the manufacturing sector. There was some lumpiness in durable goods orders. Some more better than others. Like I said, um, new orders for non-defense was bad. New orders for machinery was bad. But new orders for primary metals was up. Really wonky kind of data that I tend not to talk about on this show. The stock market's poised for a lower open. Deutsche Bank's credit default swaps in Europe this morning. Um I think we saw the markets were poised for slightly better than average open, just like kind of creeping up. And then Deutsche Bank said their credit swaps uh, shot to four-year highs, driving strong selling interest. 
Deutsche Bank is a huge European bank. Down 10% today on the news, hitting its lowest level since October. Is there a contagion? It certainly seems to be, and it seems to be tied towards the Federal Reserve and deposits. Now, I'm not going to blame completely the Federal Reserve on this because in theory, and this is in theory, uh, Deutsche Bank should be doing a better job with their cash-like equivalents so as to not spook the market, but another run on the bank today. The Fed gave stocks a reprieve, but the all clear is still a ways off this week the Fed Reserve said we are close to finishing the tightening cycle. I think he did. He is his quote also was we did consider a pause in the days running up to the meeting. This is the closest we're going to get until the Fed does stop raising interest rates until the Fed does a pivot. Long term rates crashed over the nine trading sessions. 30. Since Silicon Valley Bank did their thing, which fueled rallies in mega caps like Amazon, Microsoft, Tesla, Alphabet, Meta, NVIDIA, AMD, all big winners in the last 10 days. Ugh, flight to safety and tech companies because they have cash and the ability to fire people. That's a weird thing to say. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Don't want to work forever? Check out the retirement planning guide on robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. Welcome to EP Wealth's Informed Investor Market Update. I'm Rob Black. Joining me today, CFP and CFA Adam Phillips. He's the Director of Portfolio Strategy at EP Wealth. Let's do a quick report card on year to date, maybe see what the market's telling us. NASDAQ's up 12% for the year. The S&P 500 up 2.4%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 3.8%. Those are all very similar to where we were in January. So we've gone nowhere fast in February and March, all things considered. But they're also kind of a flip on where we were last year, where growth was the underperformer and value was the outperformer. Opposite so far this year. Adam, any thoughts on the, the quick numbers that I threw out on the market performance so far year to date? Sure. Well, I, I think you mentioned the growth uh, outperformance over value. I, I think that's just a reminder that not uh, not everything is going to work all the time, right? We've seen a shift back towards growth uh, in in recent weeks here. I think part of that is really due to the fact that a lot of these large uh, tech plays are, are those with the with the strongest balance sheets, right? They have the largest cash uh, holdings, and so when there is a flight to quality like what we've seen. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, I, I think a lot of people just think think back to to those types of companies as leadership and, and flock back to those names. And so, not too surprising, you know. We'll we'll see we'll see what happens here in in, in the weeks ahead. You know, another uh, bit of performance that uh, that I I'm looking at right now. I think it's a great uh, great time to mention it is the fact that bonds uh, are actually up about three percent uh, this month, right? So. Stocks uh, down, uh, maybe call one percent or so. We know <clears throat> about the sell-off that we've seen here uh, over the past couple of weeks. Uh, bonds up three percent, so I think that's just a great reminder. As painful as last year was, we've talked about that uh, in in recent uh, episodes here. Um, bonds still serve a place in the portfolio, and they could still provide some type of diversification benefit. And so, I, I think the, the the recent performance here uh, with the with fixed income is a great reminder uh, of that. Um, other one other piece of performance that I'll mention, if we just kind of look underneath the hood of the S and P five hundred, 
I think, uh, you know, really uh, one, one of the things that uh, can't really ignore is the fact that financials or banks in particular are down about 30 percent. Uh, for, uh, just over the last couple of weeks. And so we know about those names that have been in the headlines the most, but it's really across the board, uh, broad, broad banking sector that's uh, that's been impacted here. It's interesting to note, to add a little color on your thoughts on tech stocks doing well, um, because they have the cash, but they also have overhired in the last two years and expectations are they, they can fire people through a recession plenty. And the highest cost of doing business is labor. So there's two reasons to think they may continue solid performance, but that's for a different episode on a different day. Let's talk a little bit about Fed Reserve meeting this week, Tuesday and Wednesday. And yes, we will get to the banking uh, conversation, but it'll probably bleed into the Federal Reserve conversation that Adam's about to kick off. Thoughts? Yeah, lots of thoughts. Uh, So uh, FOMC uh, starts their March meeting tomorrow. Uh, It will conclude on Wednesday. And so uh, everyone is really waiting to see what they do here. Uh, and so, obviously, I, I think their focus have sh- has, has shifted a little bit from price stability uh, to financial stability. And, and so, I think the, the way you can think of this is, okay, they have two fires that they're focusing on, on, on which one to put out. They only have one bucket of water, okay? And, and so, I think it's going to be really interesting what happens here. It was just a, a short time ago that the Fed was resetting expectations among investors for maybe a, a return to a 50 basis point increase here in the March meeting. That is gone. I think now the debate is, uh, do they actually um, raise rates at all or, or do they raise them just 25 basis points? Right now, I'm I'm of the, the belief or I, I expect that the Fed to raise rates by 25 basis points. I, I think recent data really gives them the cover to do that. Uh, we could talk about the CPI report in a minute here. But um, what happened last week was uh, was the ECB, uh, uh, the European Central Bank, actually raised rates by 50 basis points. So ECB President Christine Lagarde, um, she she mentioned uh, that the threat of uh, financial instability there. We know about the headlines around Credit Suisse, uh, but uh, but she was undeterred and she said, "Look, inf- inflation is still way too high. We need to get this under control." And and so I think that gives uh, Jay Powell and and his colleagues at the Fed some cover here to continue with a twenty five basis point increase. So that's what I would expect. It's not just about the rate uh, the rate decision though on Wednesday. I think the investors will be watching uh, his, his for his comments afterwards in the press conference. That's always interesting. But in addition, this is uh, this is one of those quarterly meetings where we um, where we get the, the update on the summary of economic projections uh, as well as the dot plots, and so that will tell us what the Fed thinks, uh, where, where the Fed thinks both rate policy is going, as well as what the underlying uh, economic data is is going uh, to tell us in, in the months ahead, uh, specifically inflation, unemployment data. So I think this is really going to provide us with a, a little bit of a peek into their own thinking, uh, in, in addition to what the uh, what the rate decision is. So let's hit the CPI, but before we do, let's mention that oil prices I saw were as low as $68 a barrel, internationally speaking. That's a positive for the Fed, lowering the cost of energy to heat your home, lowering the cost of energy to drive to work, um, disinflation, which again, should be part of a good bigger picture story. But the CPI number also plays in this. Like so on one hand, we have the oils coming lower, but on the other hand, and it's like, you just want a one-handed economist. Let's talk about the CPI numbers from last week. What did you see? 
Yeah, well, I, I think that's a good point, right? We, we've seen some progress um, over uh, over the last couple of days here on on energy prices, on food prices actually coming in a bit softer uh, than, than we've seen in, in recent months, which is which is great. What the Fed is really focused on is is really service inflation. That's the majority of consumer spending, and and that's really where they have arguably more control than on food and energy prices. Uh, so I think that's where they're focused. And last week's CPI data told us that that's still an issue. Uh, looking at month-over-month uh, month gains of, uh, of about four-tenths of a percent on that overall or, or headline inflation, and then core inflation, which is excluding food and energy prices, up five-tenths of a percent month-over-month. Month. Um, so not really, uh, pressure is not really easing just yet. On a year-over-year basis, yeah, inflation is is down to six percent year-over-year, which actually is is a good thing. It's actually trending in the right direction, even though six percent is still much too high. Uh, and so, I think the Fed is is likely to look at this and say, yeah, our job's not done yet. Um, they they, as I mentioned, they have one bucket of water. Uh, and I think that they can justify a 25 basis point increase here to just continue fighting inflation, while at the same time making mention of the fact that there are some concerns uh, around uh, recent events within the uh, the banking sector but um you know i i think it's it's really important for them not to lose sight of the fact that inflation is still an issue and i, I think that they're mindful of um yeah you know, I, I think the risk of not doing anything at, at the meeting uh this week is what kind of message would that send if they didn't raise rates at all that might tell investors, okay, we actually know something that you don't, and we're worried, and and we're gonna we're not gonna make any uh, any rate increase announcement this week uh, for th- this time around. And and I think actually the market might might view that uh, um, unfavorably compared to a twenty five basis point increase. It's interesting stuff. A lot of moving parts. Um, you brought up the role of government and what they're doing to help fight inflation. Let's talk about government doing what their part in the banking crisis. First, it was Silicon Valley Bank, then it was Credit Suisse. From the consumer side, and I'm not on your professional investor side, but from the consumer side, what I'm seeing is it looks like a pretty good response. Only the bondholders and the shareholders are getting the worst of it. But if you had money in a bank, you, you you're, you're made whole so far, so good, knock on wood. Um, but it doesn't seem to be like the classic run on the banks. It doesn't seem to be getting out of control because the governments, whether it be the Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve or the ECB, they seem to be aware, like we don't want this to get out of hand. And they seem to be doing a good job from my perspective. I, I think that's right, and, and you know we have to ask ourselves, well, what what are their options? And and we know that um, they also have Washington and some in Washington looking at them and saying, don't bail out these banks, right? We we're worried about um, uh, regulatory issues and maybe that moral hazard. And and so I think that they're walking this fine line, and and I think that they have done a good job. It's so important to um, make sure that you restore confidence uh, among depositors. And I think that they've done that. I think it's going to be hard to go go back from this now that they've, I think there's kind of this implicit guarantee now uh, for all depositors. They've mentioned that they're going to make all depositors whole at these, at these problem banks so far, but you know, it's, it's hard to, to argue that, uh, that that won't be extended beyond those those, uh, those problem banks that they, they've really addressed so far, right? I, I think 
we're going to see uh, in, in the months to come if there are changes to the FDIC insurance limits, uh, which one could argue those are a little bit outdated right now. They need to be adjusted higher or maybe adjusted for corporate banking uh, clients. And so I think there's uh, there's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But so far, I think that the Fed uh, and, and really uh, the, the, the Treasury as well, they, they've done a good job at, at kind of containing this. And we've also seen some participation from others in the banking sector to make sure that they're um, protecting the broad system as well. And I think it's worthy of note, the government has already made money on their FDIC issues from the last 10 days. And if you go back to the 2008 banking crisis and bailing out banks, the government made money. So there, there's positives, even though the picture is pretty negative, um, responses can be done intelligently and, and with precision. Um, so I'm liking, I'm not, no, no, let me correct that. I'm not liking what I'm seeing, but I'm encouraged that things aren't getting worse. Yep, I agree. Any final thoughts as we wrap up today's informed investor market update? Again, uh, big meeting coming up uh, on Wednesday. That's, I'm not going to say it's the meeting of all meetings because we always say that, but it certainly seems to be what the markets might be focused in on this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens later on this week, and I'm sure we'll touch on it next week. In 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 the meantime, um, you know, we're we're continuing to watch this, uh, you know, all, all the events around the banking system. But I think it is worth knowing that uh, that we are not concerned about broader contagion here, broader financial crisis. I, I think that's really important uh, for a takeaway. It's obviously kind of front and center with with a number of these banks that have been the headlines in recent days, but we're not necessarily worried about this becoming a, a systemic issue um, the from, from a from uh, capital levels are much stronger this time around we compare that the data that we're seeing today versus uh, how it appeared in, in the in the days and, and and weeks and months leading up to the global financial crisis and and really I, I think the data is is broadly uh, more supportive that, than it was last uh, than, than it was last time around so I think that's really important uh, for uh, for listeners to just keep in mind as, as they're reading Reading all the headlines. And I'll end this with, I think it's always important for investors and market participants to stay in touch with their financial planning team, their financial advisors, give them updates, show them your concerns. Conversations are a great way to move forward in this similar uh, type of market that we've seen in the past. I'm Rob Black for EP Wealth's Informed Investor Market Update. He's Adam Phillips, CFA, CFP, Director of Portfolio Strategy at EP Wealth. Good day. This interview featured on The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Early in my career, I just do a lot of homework. And I've been explaining this to my wife as we have a son getting ready to go into high school. That I wasn't smarter than other students in high school. My grades were. But my ability to do a lot of research is where I, I kind of... You know, stratist, where I kind of like took it to the next level. I did a lot of work on the census to tie into a lot of work on individual companies. And the easiest way to explain this is there was a crazy dumb thing that we talked about 20 years ago. Every minute, two two people turn 65 years old in the United States, or every second, two more people turn 65. It's just something dumb like that. And then when you start to look at the numbers, it's, it, it showed just an amazing amount of people who were turning 65. And yeah, there's a retirement angle. And there was a story after story about how people will take money out of the stock market. Totally true. 
and how that's going to crash the stock market. Totally not true. Um, because Generation X and Generation Z and the millennials, they kind of need it to replace a dream of retirement that the boomers were starting to move into retirement with. So census numbers helps a lot. And then you get into the trends and you're like 65 year old. What do they do? They sell houses. They move to cheaper states. They take a lot of pharmaceuticals. Ding, 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 ding. And you, find, you start circling in on a story because you're doing a lot of research. You're treated like an investigative stock dividend journalist. I love companies like Merck and Pfizer and Lilly for the long-term patient investor. No problem whatsoever with them. Short-term, anything can happen. A need for a drug to fight COVID could, boom, help a company's profits. Or finding out that a drug to fight COVID caused cancer. Not true. Not true. But things like that can turn the fortunes of a, a drug company. A lot of headline risk. The Federal Reserve has slashed interest rates. And the last two times money market fund assets surged in 2008 and 2020. We've seen the same thing. Money market funds look like they're the next bubble. Yesterday, and this is really odd to say, uh, and I've, I've been honest with this journey for many, many years, but the inheritance that I got from my mother's passing after my father had passed many years before, the family inheritance, I guess, was distributed probably about two weeks ago. And the check finally hit my brokerage account. And we've set up the account so that it can be drawn down on off dividends only. Or the dividends can be reinvested depending on what we feel that year as a family. Um, the goal is it'll stay with me, my wife, my two kids, and we'll either vacation once a year or we'll just reinvest it or we'll find something fun to do as a group. And as I die, it'll turn to the three of them. And as she dies, it'll turn to the two of them. As he, one die, like, we're okay with that. It's a silly little plan, but it celebrates my mother. Which brings up the question about estate planning and Americans and what they get right and what they get wrong about estate planning. Estate planning, when you leave something to your children, it's something that's important to me. I know we all differ, and I know there's someone out there who's like, I'm, I gave birth to that kid, and that's all I'd have to do. Some people want to give birth to the kid. That's all they have to do and get them to through high school. That's all they have to do. Some people want to get them through high school. Some people want to get them through college as well. I want to do all that, and then I want to leave a little bit more. I just, uh, I, I've got an ego issue is I want to be remembered well. So estate planning is is that angle. And what do you leave for your kids? When do you leave it? My goal is uh, hopefully they can enjoy life with me until they're 25 and then they get a chunk of money at 25 and then they get a chunk of money at 35 and then they get the final chunk of money at 45. So that's my estate plan, essentially. First and foremost, um, until they're 25, it goes to my wife and she could figure out what to do until they hit a reasonable age of handling money on their own. And I don't think 21 is it. <laughs> I don't think 18 is the right number. But that's just me. When did I start settling down and not want to burn the world down, but wanting to like plant trees? To me, it was 25 probably. So here's what people get wrong with estate planning. 
a lot of people think it's a daunting undertaking or that it's only for the rich or that it costs a ton. And none of those are true. Families dread talking about money. I get that, especially financial plans when someone's dead. 26% of adult children would rather deal with their parents' estate after they die than talk about it while they're living. 26% of you are cowardly and don't want to talk to your parents about money. If I can go back in time, I would do anything just to talk to my damn dad. If it was about money, if it was about you know his first kiss, if it was about how many people did he kill in Vietnam. Like, I would do anything to interview that man for one more minute. Almost emotional. Not quite. But these are people you love. So don't be afraid to talk to them. So, and ask your question, yourself the question, if you love them, and you answer yes to that, then make their lives easier. Don't wait for you to die for them to figure out your estate. Estate planning is a lot like life insurance. It's less about you versus the people that you leave behind. Even though most parents plan to leave at least something to their children, only 37% said they have currently a plan in place. That's pretty small. Some online platforms can quickly help you, whether it's Quicken and LegalZoom. They offer templates for estate planning documents and guidance and filling them out less than $100. And no, don't use my name when you check out at LegalZoom because I don't have a relationship with them. I'm not getting a kickback in any way, shape, or form. But LegalZoom is pretty quick. It's pretty painless. I did it once uh, just to see what the experience was like so that I could recommend it or not. You want to set up a trust for your children or in that process, you're designating beneficiaries or guardians. If you have questions about appointing an executor to the health care proxy or minimizing gift state taxes, I think it's good to get a financial advisor like a CFP who uses an accountant and an attorney. And yeah, that is probably a little bit more money than legal zone. But the more money you have, the more money you should understand it takes to play the game correctly. The biggest mistake I see with people who have two, three, four, five million is that they don't want to hire a professional manager to help them because they think they can do as well. They can't. And the, the, the reach of services that a CFP can offer are profoundly impactful to your family and to your future and to your planning. Especially when you're 75 years old and you're starting to go senile, you don't want to be making your own decisions. You need a CFP referral, drop your name on rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. I'm above 50 years old, which means I could see retirement kind of maybe. But also I plan to work for many more years and I plan to work in my retirement. I got an email yesterday from a man who I think was fantastic. Um, he criticized me, and I don't mind. He heard me talking about how I'm going to give up 85% of my Social Security income because you learn too much dividends from your investments. It's not quite what I was trying to say, but he's right. That's what it sounded like. Um, my goal is to try to show you what's going to happen to me. I'm not counting on any of my social security at this point in time, because I do plan to have some W2 income in retirement, but also some dividends. The general idea that I want to push out is that I want dividends to support my lifestyle in retirement because the W2 might not. 
And the W-2, the longer I work, the more it eats into my Social Security uh, that I would be getting. Now, again, it also gives me the benefit of waiting until I'm as old as possible to take Social Security. And why you say as old as possible, because I want maximum benefits and those ages are likely to change in the years to come. Um, so he and I changed, exchanged a couple of emails and he said, uh, one of the things that I don't agree with you on is that you should have 10 to 20 times your income saved for retirement. And that's where I, I disagree with him. He says, uh, this is just so wrong and it will really scare people. It depends entirely on what your income is and what your expected retirement expenses are. I don't think it does. Uh, Fidelity says everyone should have 10 times. Let's start with that rule and then expand it. If you want to have less, it's on you that you could be putting yourself at risk. If you want 20 times, you're probably not putting yourself at risk unless maybe you live in the Bay Area and something bad happens to you in a high cost of living area, which I plan to live in a high cost of living area. I don't plan to retire to a trailer park and cut my expenses enormously. I don't plan to move to Florida or Phoenix and cut my expenses lightly. I want to live where I like the temperature. So call me crazy. It's like, call me baby. I know you're saying, please don't start singing. Whatever you do, don't start singing. But um, so he and I can disagree on that one. He has an income of $500,000 a year, and he expects his retirement expenses to be hundred k. There's not a CFP on the planet who thinks he's, he's even close to right. Now, again, he can be, he can err on the side of caution. Or I'm going to err on the side of caution in my mind and oversave. He's going to err on the side of everything will be okay and undersave. General consensus is 10 to 20 times your income right now by age 67. And if you think 10 times your income, think of it as lasting. How how long is that going to, if you were making 500,000, what are you pulling the number out to, right? Um, I'm just throwing that out there for you as that's what the benchmarks are currently saying to offer you the most amount of chance of success of not outliving your money. Not everyone is able to start saving money at age 25 or consistently save 15%. I get that. Do I want everyone to start saving money at 25 and 15% of their salary going to a 401k or 403b? I do. But what was great about this guy, uh, he sends this email and I send back, okay, you know, totally right. Um, And I said, thanks. So, and what I need to explain on occasion is that I'm talking about my situation the most because I know my situation the most. And then I try to open it up to, you know, what I should have done in my 30s and what I should have done in my 20s as a way of talking to 30 year olds and 20 year olds. When talking taxes, I try to use my personal scenario because there's only and there's so many, 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 many multiple scenarios that people have with taxes, depending on what state they live in, depending on how much income they have. But yes, I do plan to get some money from Social Security, not nearly what I put in. But also, I know that Medicare or Medi-Cal is going to take most of that from me. So I'm not looking at Social Security as adding to my lifestyle as much as covering my medical expenses for a little bit until there's a big medical expense. Again, I'm erring on the side of caution of wanting my money to outlast me. Is it fear? It is not. I'm not too far off in the numbers. But what I loved about it was... Corrected me in his opinion on two things. I think he corrected me on one and the other one still debatable. Um, 
And I, at some point in time, I said, thanks for not like being an, uh, a jerk. You can think of the word that I was coming up with ends with whole. Thanks for not being a mm, hole. Thanks for being civil in your questions. And, you know, he's like, I love 99% of what you do. And I was honored by that. I love that we could disagree and move forward. So with that being said, in the honor of the spirit, let's move forward. So TikTok CEO probably wishes they had a 60 minute time limit on Capitol Hill. That it was short uh, answers, which, again, all the late night comedians made fun of. They hired an American Asian to dress up as if he is TikTok CEO and he did dances to Congress, which was a little too expected and a little bit too silly. Um, short sellers. Here's what I don't really like about Hindenburg Research is I don't like companies that can go out and build a short position and then go to the media and say, we don't like this company. And they've already got their short position in place. If they want to do society a, a favor, maybe they do their short research without taking a position. Is that realistic? Nope. But Hindenburg's two-year investigation focused primarily on Block's cash app. Dorsey and company would like investors who believe the cash app serves 51 million active users monthly. That might not be the case. Through multiple interviews, Hindenburg said former employees estimated that 40 to 75 percent of cash apps accounts were either fake involved in crime or additional accounts tied to a single user or some combination of the three. Block employees also told Hindenburg that in order to keep up with strong growth during the pandemic, uh, Dorsey and Block co-founder James McElvey sold more than one billion in the company. Cash app disregarded warning signs of criminal activity and failed to uphold basic security measures. I don't know how much of this is true. I will tell you, I want nothing to do with this. For me, I'm not intrigued. Like, do you know how First Republic Bank two weeks ago started getting into, will they survive? Will they not survive? Banks will bail them out. Will the Federal Reserve bail them out? And one day the stock would be up 45% and the next day it would be down 30%. The next day it would be up 10% and the next day it would be down 20%. I have no interest in that. I don't like losing chunks of money, so I don't play in games where chunks of money are lost. Let's see. The FTC wants to make ending a subscription a lot easier. There should be a new click to cancel rule that would make it easier to break up with clingy subscriptions in your life. I think that's not the world's worst thing in the world to try to figure out. Uh, if you use Rocket Money, the app, there's a feature. It used to be called True, the True app, where you could look at all your subscriptions. You basically link the app to your credit card or your bank account. And it would tell you, did you know you've got an account for satellite radio that's $25 a month? And you're like, I don't even have a car with satellite radio. And you're like, oh, I did, I did, I did. So the app used to be called True, but now it's called Rocket Money because Rocket Mortgage acquired True. I think it's really helpful. It, it, I think it does a really, really nice job. And every now and then, for instance, I got a an email from rocket money yesterday that said, Hey, we see a $3,200 bill. What is this? And I'm in, but I bought a refrigerator hundred dollars. And you're like, what the kind of refrigerator is it? It makes gold ice cubes is what it does. 
No, no, it's one of those super expensive, nice outdoor, indoor ice making. I don't know, high end appliance that I'm like, oh, and let's put it, let's be honest right now. I didn't buy it. My spouse bought it. So, you know, I told you earlier in the show that Apple announced a billion dollar plan for cinema releases. What's interesting, instantly, two stories blended in my head. There's a big push for Microsoft to outpay Google to become the search engine of the iPhone. Because Microsoft has this whole chat GPT thing going on, that joie de vie, that mm -mm -mm. So Google pays Apple $15 billion a year, and Apple turns around and spends a billion on movie stars. It's almost cute, right? It's almost, do, you, do you see why those two stories crashed in my head? This isn't even money to Apple. This is a joke to Apple. They, could, they can do that 15 times for the next 15 years, fund a billion dollars of movies. Okay, let's move forward. I think that's the only thing I can do at this point in time. Um, coffee and real estate right now, when you take a look at Starbucks, I want you to see real estate. And I also want you to see people working and stopping off to get coffee. So when you look at real estate, don't just look at your own home, look at commercial real estate. One of the big shoes to fall that should be next should be commercial real estate. I would have your exposure to REITs. I would understand what you own, why you own it, what they own, what their cash flow situation is. Funds from operation, FFO, if you're looking at financial statements, is what means the most to me for many companies. And with Twitter sending an email in the middle of the night, 2.30, Musk saying everyone has to come back to work, it's because offices are empty. There's a correlation there. And commercial real estate should take a big hit. That's all I'm saying. It's all about gorillas to get any action on any stocks ever mentioned on the show. Find me at robblackshow.com. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archived podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth's certified financial planners online at robblackshow.com. This has been a weird week on Wall Street, up and down and up and down. Going nowhere fast, and that's okay. Market goes up seven out of 10 years. It doesn't go up 10 out of 10 years. And I'm pleased with what we've done through the pandemic. If we went back in time and said, how do you think the world economy is going to hold up? I'd be like, well, I wouldn't have predicted they go into superinflation mode, but I would have predicted they, they contracted. Um, again, I think history is going to look back at this very interestingly. So a lot of my friends on Facebook, which I don't check all that often, but some of them were posting what were they doing three years ago? Because that's the anniversary, March 2020. And some people were dying of boredom from seven days of lockdown. And to think that's where we started to where we went two years later or two years through it. Uh, I... I I don't mind sideways markets and I don't mind down markets. Now, if I'm 70 years old, I'm getting ready to retire and I barely made it to the finish line with my number and the market hits a correction. That's a bad sequence of returns. That is why you need a CFP to help you plan five years before you retire 
so that you don't hit that. Oh, I just walked into a butcher shop. Some people went into 2022. This is it. I've hit my magic number. I'm punching my golden ticket and I'm retiring. Oh, wait, the market's down 10, 20, 30%. 30% for growth, 10% for value, 20% somewhere in between. Keep in mind, a lot of generalizations are made on this show for the sake of telling a story, but also for getting you the right idea. So that first year is a big one. Because when you go down 10% or 20% or 30%, you don't need to go up 30% to recover a 30% loss. It's much, much more. When you go down 10%, you don't need to go up 10% to get back to break even. It's much, much more. And then you have a second year down. Holy mackerel. You're like, I may need to unretire. I may need to unretire. Where's the unretire switch? And you unretire and they're like, hey, old man, we don't want you back at the company. Your health expensive is more expensive than that young, sexy 20-year-old's health insurance. True, true. For smaller companies, that's true. Group health insurance is based on the number of employees. And that's one of the reasons why larger corporations are able to get cheaper health insurance because they're able to spread the risk amongst more people. So sequence of returns is really important. There's something called Monte Carlo scenarios. And I've been working with CFP Stephanie Richmond and CFP Chad Burton from EP Wealth. And we're going to do a webinar sometime this summer um, on sequence of returns. I think you're going to like it because it's probably the scariest thing to think about. And it's scary for me right now. Um, this year was more expensive than last year. Next year's going to be more expensive than this year. My kids are at peak expensive years. They're not in college, but I have one kid going to a private school next year. That's kind of like a college cost. For, to be honest with you, it is. So the sequence of returns is important. I still need to work. And when I do retire, my magic number will be my magic number. And if it's down 20% in 2022, and let's say we're down 10% this year, could happen. It's too early to tell. Um, would I have to work longer? I might. If I was, if I was just barely guessing my numbers, or if I didn't work with the CFP and have a plan for how to handle two to three down years in a row. It's interesting. Stephanie Richmond talks about needing two years of cash. Chad Burton talks about needing three. Neither one is right nor wrong. It's just a different approach to the same problem, not running out of money in your lifetime. And also running into that sequence of events of you don't want a bad year in the stock market and the bond market like we had in 2022, your first year of retirement. Otherwise, you may be working a long time to dig out of that hole. I get it. Part of my strategy is very similar, but also to count more on dividend achievers, companies that haven't cut their dividends in 25 years have been growing their dividends. So what I'm expecting is what I'm expecting. But then I put myself at inflation risk, where my dividend portfolio is paying me two and a half to three and a half percent and inflation seven percent. I really wasn't counting on that kind of underperformance to inflation. Super important you start thinking about this. Hey, by the way, on Microsoft, I told you guys many years ago, a year ago, to consider buying Activision because I bought it when the stock fell to $80 and then it fell to $70 because Microsoft was going to take them over for $95. And we knew it was going to be a year and a half to get through antitrust, but it looks like it's starting to get through antitrust. 
And that's a good 20% return for those who got in and, and were patient. Again, it still hasn't happened. So now I'm, now I'm pretending it's happened. Um, but the EU uh, in Europe, the UK, basically said, yeah, we're okay with it, even though we weren't originally. But, you know, we're going to look into the cloud computing angle of it, but it's not going to affect consoles. Because Microsoft said, if you want it for 10 years, we'll give we'll license it for 10 years. And they've licensed about six, seven companies now, including Nintendo, which is very interesting because you don't think of Nintendo as a Call of Duty platform. But Microsoft is moving higher today. Activision is moving higher today because one of the few hurdles. And I, I, now that the UK's cleared a hurdle, I think you could say, well, there's a precedent set for the United States to go, okay, let's keep looking at this. And why did they say it was okay? The UK is no longer worried about console competition. The UK watchdog softened position on the Microsoft Activision deal. So you're seeing Activision and Microsoft both move higher today. Interesting to know. Is it a done deal? No. Is it moving in the direction that we thought it would? Yes. Um, in large part, keep in mind, Sony sells more Xboxes than Microsoft does. And Nintendo is a bigger player as well. So Microsoft isn't... They're okay. They're okay. They're in a position of strength. Just not... How shall we say? Anti-competitive at this point in time. There's big differences between a Sony PlayStation and Xbox. Isn't it great we could talk about video games and investing? This is the sweetest gig ever. Find me online at robblackshow.com. What's the best way to choose a financial advisor? Download our guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 